Welcome into Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Casey Phillips and Scott Smith here. And this is where we ask all the questions from you guys. We get a chance to answer those. And uh, if you're not already watching on Facebook, make sure you head over there. That's where we can find those questions that you guys have. Um, just make sure you leave them in a the comment section underneath the actual live video on here. So a as of, a lot of stuff already. we've already got a lot of people that are chiming in here um, I, already. We actually can start with this. I was going to ask you about this news to begin with anyways. And Austin already asked, uh, what are the Bucks going to do with the extra cap from JPP? Oh, well, I don't think we can know right now, right? I mean, there's plenty of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. You caught me by surprise on that one. I, I don't know at this moment. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> nope, I definitely don't know the plan. Um, but, I mean, it is always nice to, to know that you have all of a sudden. Th this time of year, you don't all of a sudden end up with extra cap space super yeah. often. Well, what if you um, started talking to Shaq Barrett about an extension? I would be a He's fan of that. He's on a one-year deal right now. Yeah, so. that's a really great sure point. seems like a guy you'd like to keep around a little bit longer. That's a really great <laughs> point. Well, again, so as we give people a chance to submit some of their questions in that live video, I figured we'd go and start talking a little bit about the game against L.A. that, you know, playing against a team that was in the Super Bowl last year. Um, how similar or different do they seem to be from that team? And, and is it yeah. going to still be a team that is potentially a Super Bowl contender? Well, statistically, it seems like they're getting things done in a different way. They're 3-0, and so they're getting it done. Uh, last year, they scored, I think, 32.7 points per game. Only the Chiefs scored more. And while their defense was good and obviously revolves around Aaron Donald, um, they were clearly an offensive-led team. Um, it turned out differently in the Super Bowl, as it turns out. But uh, this year, their offense is good. But it's about middle of the pack right now, and their defense has been very good. So uh, I would just say that's probably small sample size. They still have almost everybody back from last year. Really, the only two changes on their offense were two guys on the offensive line. Their uh, left guard and their center are new, and they're young second-year players. And I, I think the offensive line maybe has, has struggled just a little bit for the Rams so far. Uh, but that's a lot of potential on that offense. One thing about it is they've got those three receivers, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and uh, Brandon Cooks, mm -hmm. and they're on the field all the time. You know how teams use three receiver sets and they use two tight end sets? All three of those guys are on, this, are on the field for more than 92% of their snaps. So that's what you're going to see all the time, all three of those guys. And you got Brandon Cooks who can take the top off. you got Robert Woods who does everything, does jet sweeps, who's a good blocker, is a good all-around receiver. And the Cooper Cup is the one getting all the high volume He's a, more of a possession-type receiver, you know, like 11.5 yards per catch, but he catches everything really well. He gets open. And uh, so you've got all those different types of receivers. They do their own things. They have their own niches in that offense. But all of that plus Todd Gurley makes for a pretty hard offense to stop. So yeah, even though their offensive numbers haven't been through the roof this year, they've definitely been in decline from the year before. That's probably just a small sample size. So I think this is a really tough offense okay. to defend. Um, we have a couple people asking about uh, Devin White. Jay had asked you know, when he's going to potentially be back or what we know about him. David had also asked about him. So when when do we know if yeah. you know if he's going to be able to return well, sooner or later? Well, we always have the show on Wednesdays yep. in the morning, and it's always a few hours before the first injury report comes out. And since we're playing the Rams and they're three hours behind, the injury report probably won't be out until late this afternoon, maybe early evening. But – uh, that'll be our first opportunity because during the portion of practice that was open to the media and therefore us that we can talk about, they were just doing special teams, which Devin doesn't really do anyway. So we don't have a report yet or until Coach says it in his post-practice press conference. If he says these guys didn't practice, then we'll have a little bit better idea. I, you know, he didn't practice at all last week and then was out for the game. It wouldn't surprise me if he was still sidelined for a little while longer. But the fact that Coach continues to say, I'm still calling it day-to-day, tells me they think he's not that far away. 
Okay. Um, Gary had asked about, do you think Rojo's going to be getting the starting spot? So I figured overall we can just talk about the two running backs and, and the fact that they're, they're both doing well. Yeah, and uh, Rojo's looked really good, mm-hmm. really, really good. And I think he's going to continue to get, you know, a more and more per- higher percentage of the snaps. I guess we get this question every week, so I guess it's important to people, maybe because of fantasy football, who starts at running back. Right. The Really the much more important question is who gets more snaps. And if Rojo continues to run the way he is, uh, you know, Peyton's been good too. But I think if you look at their yards per carry, Rojo's definitely ahead. And he's had some more dynamic runs. Peyton's had a couple as well. But I think Rojo seems to be consistently giving us those dynamic runs with the second cuts six or seven yards downfield for another three or four or five yards Probably a, a better big play. We haven't really broken a real big one yet. Probably a better option for that. And we, we've seen him in the, in the passing game. Hasn't got a lot of throws, but when we've thrown it to him, it's worked really well. So um, I don't think it matters a ton who starts. Uh, I guess at some point if you have two running backs and one of them gets to such a higher percentage over the other that he's clearly the higher-use guy, then you might just go ahead and make the change. But um, more importantly is how many snaps do they each get, and I, I think it's going to continue to sort of turn in Rojo's favor. Okay. Kevin had asked, how much more can the defense improve during this season, you think? Well, they can improve quite a bit over last week, uh, at least in the secondary. Um, I felt this way, and, and I think most people did, but Coach Arians said it so we can you know, repeat what he said. The, front, the defensive front, the front seven or eight or whatever you want to call it, front six, played very well. And there was a lot of pressure on the quarterback. There was nowhere to run uh, for the running backs, but the secondary had its worst game. And there were some blown assignments, particularly on the big catch by Sterling Shepard in the game-winning drive. Uh, And it just was not a really good game for those guys. You know, they had played pretty well in the first two weeks, but we're still talking about a lot of really young guys. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of room for improvement for those guys to, you know, get more experience and, and learn to communicate well and and, you know, just become a better unit altogether. And it's, it's probably hard to do when you're starting a rookie safety, a first-year safety, a second-year cornerback, a second-year cornerback at nickel. And Vernon Hargraves is your, you know, your elder statesman right. in that group. It's a young group. I think there's room for improvement there. Yeah, I don't know if you can ask for a whole lot more from what your D-line is doing because they've been just absolutely phenomenal mm-hmm. against the run. And their pressure is helping Shaq in particular, but also Carl get to right. the quarterback. So it's on the back end that we have to get better. Okay. Um, Justin asked, why did we take the foot off the gas in the second half on Sunday? I don't think they took the foot off the gas. I just think they didn't execute. I mean, there was, in the third quarter, we just didn't convert on some third downs. Um, that happened also in the, in the fourth quarter on the, you know, the one where Cam got tripped up. If we'd have made that third down, we probably would have, uh, you know, probably mm-hmm. would have been able to run out the clock or get close to it. Um, the only thing I would say in agreement to that is the – the fourth and two play when we were up by three is fourth and two and they're five. On third and two, we ran a, a read option. Uh, coach said uh, that Jameis made the right read because of what the end did to give it to Peyton. And he didn't have to get five yards for a touchdown. He just had to get two to get a first down. And we just didn't block it well on the front end. So um, you get to that point. Now it's fourth and two at the five. You're up by three. If you kick a field goal, which we did, then you're up by six. But either way, a touchdown is going to beat you, and that is in what ended up happening. So I, I might agree with the with the assessment of taking the foot off the gas and choosing to kick the field goal instead of the touchdown there. But I don't think from a play calling standpoint that's what we were doing. I think they okay. I think they they stumbled out of the out of halftime and didn't execute well on offense. I don't think it was a matter of strategy 
You know what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. Uh, Jim asked why hasn't OJ been involved more? Well, he was in the last game. Mm -hmm. And I think they made a, a particular effort to do so, and they hit him downfield several times. He drew in a big pass interference on another downfield pass. Uh, so after the first two games, in the first game, of course, OJ had – you know, he had a couple miscues. He had a fumble. He had a ball that went through his hands and was intercepted. It, he actually got targeted. He had four catches in that game and was targeted several other times. In the Carolina game, the ball didn't find him. The coaches said that was just an, a, a product of who they decided to cover. The best example being Chris Godwin's 20-yard touchdown, which was a pair of really well-run uh, posts, mm -hmm. right? Two posts together, and OJ was the other one. The defense went towards him, left no safety over the top for Chris, and so James made the right read and threw to Chris. Had it been the other way around, he probably would have thrown to OJ. Right. And in, the, in this last game, other than, than Mike Evans, I think OJ was the number two option Yeah. in, the, in that game. So. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Kevin said, what would you say is the over-under on how many sacks Shaq Barrett will end up with this year? That's a really good question. Yeah. Because 40, right? Because he's on <laughs> yeah, pace for well, 40s, you know? <laughs> Eight after three would be like two and two-thirds times 16, 30. Yeah, it's close to 40, so probably 40. Now, um, yeah, that's standard. Uh, you, obviously, you can't expect him to continue to get uh, three or four sacks every week. But I don't think what he's done has been fluky. I think he's getting a lot of one-on-one -on -one opportunities because, as we said, Vita Vea and, and Sue and uh, Will Golston are all doing well and commanding double team blocks because they're they, they're just so hard to they're powerful men and they're hard to stop so they're they're letting their who whether it's a tight end or the tackle on that end they're letting him you know you, you, this is a guy's responsibility and Shaq's just making all kinds of really good moves I mean he's had some where he's powered the guy back but he seems to be particularly good at you know as soon as he engages with that tackle on the outside he gets that shoulder low and then is able to accelerate around him right and then and then again on another play and you know where I know this from is because I watched Ronnie Barber's uh, film session mm -hmm. thing which is one of my favorite videos on the website every week and I would highly recommend watching that every week and this week he'll give you a little bit more idea of why Shaq was so successful in mm. that game and like one of Shaq's sacks <laughs> that's fun to say yeah was actually Carl Nassib just completely he had a straight arm on the tackle and just pushed him all the way back to Daniel Jones and forced Daniel Jones over that way and, and then here comes Shaq right so Carl Nassib really made that play happen but mm -hmm. Shaq did what he had to do um so I've been talking about Shaq for a while and I can't remember what the original how many question sacks was. you think he's gonna okay. have by the end of the year so he's playing well so I don't expect him to just all of a sudden this was a fluke and he gets no more right. so let's say uh you know he has a couple other two sack games which would get him to 12 I'd say 14 or 15, which would be close to the Buccaneer records. So that'd, that'd be incredible. That'd be really, really good. That'd be awesome. Uh, Jacob asked, what have you seen as Brashard Perriman's role so far? Well, I mean, he is the third guy. He's on the field a lot as your third receiver. And so far, we've been throwing him the ball kind of underneath a lot. You know, he's, he's kind of a speedster. He's had a lot of big plays last year in the second half for Cleveland. But we've been sending, as you saw in the last game, Mike Evans deep constantly. And uh, Chris Godwin gets some kind of more like 20 and 25-yard targets in it. When the ball does find Brashad, it seems to be finding him underneath a little bit more. Right? Mm -hmm. His catches are all like five and six yards so far. Uh, he had the opportunity to catch that one in the end zone in Carolina. It was a tough play. Didn't make that play. That would have been a bigger play. But he's out there on the field as your number, th as your three receiver, your third receiver. And the Bucks, like every NFL team, does a lot of three receiver sets. So right. I, he probably should get some bigger numbers going forward. But I would think it would be, you know, one game maybe he gets three or four catches, and one game he doesn't. It just again, who's the ball going to find? Right. Ken asked, "What's the game plan for stopping Todd Gurley?" Well, I think it. You know, you can feel a little bit confident in this regard after what they did against Christian McCaffrey 
and Saquon Barkley back-to-back. And I know Barkley got hurt and was out the second half. But even before that, they, they were phenomenal in stopping him. And Todd Gurley, I, I mean, again, this is like a murderer's row of the hardest running backs in the league to stop. But after you do so well against McCaffrey and, um, and Barkley, you've got to believe we have a shot. And it's the same thing we talked about last week. It's gap integrity and it's swarming to the ball. And we've been doing that. So right. all you got to do is keep doing what you've been doing. Yeah. Travis asked um, how many wins you feel like is feasible over the six-week road game stretch well, of what would be considered yeah, successful. And it's five games. It's six weeks, but five games. Two road trips, London, by week. Two more road trips. Hmm. So it's five games okay. in six weeks. Um, you know, feasible. for In the NFL, it's any, anything from zero to five is feasible. And, and so... If you want me to say a number in between, like two or three, then you're asking me to say, well, which ones are we going to lose? And I don't think you go into any game with that, you know, with that mindset. But right. that being said, if you're looking at this from the outside, I'm sure I know the Buccaneers are nine and a half point underdogs this week. I'm sure that we'll be underdogs when we go to Seattle. And then the other trips are New Orleans without Drew Brees and Tennessee. And I would think those would be ones where we would be considered more like, you know, more, more of an even thing. Right. And then in Carolina, I mean, in London, where we're the home team, we're playing Carolina without Cam Newton. I don't know if that's better or worse at this point, considering the way Cam was limited. But I think most of the time you'd prefer not to play Cam Newton right. or Breeze. Yeah. So feasible, the answer to that is five. Would you, what would you be happy with at the end of this? Three, right? Yeah. And then you'd be at 500, and then you're heading into an easier part of your schedule where you have a lot of home games, right? We'd yeah. We'd be at 300, wouldn't we? Three and two, yeah, we'd be at 500. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Three would be something that would, would make them happy. They want five. Right. I would be pretty pleased if at the end of this we had three wins. Okay. Um, and we'll close out with this one. Steve asked, why didn't we try to get a touchdown at the end of the game when we had time to try? So overall, right. now you've got to hear from Coach a few different times about all of this. The end. Were you skipping some other no, questions No, I wasn't. About that, this? that was the first time we got the point blank question about what, about this. About the very end. Not the fourth and two I was talking about. but the Right. The very the end, yes. Ball? Okay. So let's just go over that sequence because I, I can't believe we haven't talked about it until now. Mike Evans catches the ball at the nine-yard line, with, and they run up and spike it with about 13 seconds left. The point is to maintain your timeout so then you can position the ball where you want it because they specifically wanted to get it off the right hash. Because while Matt Gay's been very, very good, if he's had problems, they've noticed it's been on the right hash. So they wanted to get him off the right hash. So from the moment you catch the ball with, at the nine-yard line and the offense is running down the field, your goal is to spike the ball to save your timeout and then use another play to position the ball and then kick a short field goal. That is a completely reasonable strategy that many, 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 if not all coaches in the NFL would take. It might be the highest percentage chance of success of all the strategies because anyone you throw out there, you say, okay, let's run down the respect the ball. We have a timeout, so let's throw one into the end zone. I don't have a problem with that concept, but you got to admit you could throw an interception. You could get sacked, and now you're in real big trouble. Things can happen if you choose to run the ball. Maybe they'll be thinking pass. Hey, we might catch them on a run. You can fumble. I'm not saying you will, but I also don't think you expect to miss a 34-yard field goal, right? Right. I think any coach in the league, after Mike catches that ball, if the outcome is we're down by one point and we're about to kick a 34-yard field goal win, they're going to take that. That's the most basic and obvious strategy, and it might even be the highest percentage one. Afterwards, and it's part of watching the game, and I understand it, but afterwards it's easy to say, well, we could have thrown in the end zone or we could have run one more time. Right. But the strategy that the coach – took is completely reasonable and I think almost every coach in the league would do it now in between there was the delay of game penalty that turned a and then the kneel down cost two more yards but the delay of game cost you five yards so it made the kick five yards farther 
there was some, there's been some complaints about the two things that Bruce said on Sunday and Monday. And except for one little part of it, none of it's really contradictory. When he said he did it on purpose on Sunday, as he clarified on Monday, he means he saw that we were going to get the penalty. We couldn't get the snap off because of the substitutions and the ref standing over the ball. <clears throat> so he purposely made the decision to let the penalty happen rather than using the last time out so right. that then they could then position the ball and kick the It's not ball. like he ran out there saying, I want a yeah. penalty. Oh, my yeah. gosh, we're at the 9. We can't kick from the 9. We need to kick from, from the right. 14 or the 16 after the kneel down. I don't have a problem with that either. And actually, if you look at those win probability graphs that I sometimes bring up, which shows you know which team is expected to win in this particular situation, after the catch from Mike Evans, which would have put us in position for a 27-yard field goal, we were 82.2% likelihood of winning. After the penalty, it dropped all the way to 82.0. <laughs> the point being, in the NFL, you expect your kicker to make a 27 or a 32-yarder. Right. Now, as it turned out, because of execution, we missed it, and not only did Matt Gay miss it, but he missed it just barely to the right, and you think, if we're five years closer, maybe that's in. And that's totally true, but it doesn't mean that the strategy, the execution right. lacked. It doesn't mean the strategy was wrong. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a great that's point. point. Yeah, that's a great explanation. All right, well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.